Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today is the one and only son of martial arts founder, Jimmy Webster. He started training at a young age and earned his black belt at age 14. He held the title of Alabama State Champion for five years in a row from 85 through 1990. In 93, he attacked the national tournament circuit and in 94 won first place in 10 national tournaments in a row. And 95 became one of the many stars of a TV show that you've all heard me talk many times about on this show, WMAC Masters. And in 97, he took over the family studio from his dad. The school has produced over 200 black belts, 30 state champions, and seven national champions. He's been happily married for 23 years, has four children and five grandchildren, and his favorite pastime is shooting pool. Please welcome my guest today, Jamie Great Wolf Webster. How are you doing today, sir? Doing great, Brian. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for taking the time. I, I truly appreciate it. Absolutely. What we like to do, I want to go back to the very beginning. I'm assuming it's something to do with your dad, but I'd like to hear just where did that first spark come from, that first interest, and kind of what kicked off your martial arts journey? Okay, so so my dad began training. Well, let me back up a little bit. So mm -hmm. in 1965, before I was born, my dad was like 15 years old. He had had a motorcycle wreck, and he it broke his pelvis and um, it hurt him pretty bad. He was in the hospital for like 44 days. Wow. And um, he was on crutches for like a year and a half. And his doctor said, well, hey, you know, we're going to have to do something to get you off off of these crutches. Like you, you need to get into something to exercise your hips. And my dad said, like, like what? And the guy said, well, you know, maybe try martial arts. And that was very new to our, our area in the in the 60s. So my dad started taking martial arts in 1967 before I was born. So when I was probably three years old, he opened the first studio in, in our town. Uh, there was martial arts offered in other places like at rec centers and things like that. But he kind of mm -hmm. opened the first brick and mortar school uh, in town uh, in Decatur, Alabama in, in 1973. So I was kind of born around martial arts, going to tournaments and things like that. And I kind of officially started training when I was five. Probably didn't last maybe a year. Uh, there was no kids classes for five year olds back then. And he would just take me with him to the like the adult class. Oh, wow. And I didn't really like it. I mean, he would he would hold the bag for me and I would practice kicks and things. But, you know, when you're five years old and you're having to pair up with a, you know, with a grown man to do <laughs> self-defense or something, it just wasn't fun for me. And I'm sure it wasn't fun for the adult who was practicing with me. And so I probably trained about a year and then just, you know, didn't didn't keep training. And but then when I was about nine, I started getting bullied by a guy uh, named Richie. And this kid used to chase me home from school and I'd have to jump the fence and run home and jump wow. the fence and sprain my, sprain my ankle and limp home. And he would laugh. And when, um, probably a few months after that, me and a buddy of mine, um, uh, Steve, we were at a Seven Eleven, you know, getting a Coke and a candy bar and 
playing Pac-Man or whatever. And as we walked out, there was Richie with like four of his buddies. And a lot of them were a lot older than us. And, and we, we just went right back into the store. Like I was afraid, you know, we were going to get jumped and, and beaten up. So go back in the store and I, I called my dad and, and he was, uh, he was up at the store, like in one minute, it seemed like. And as soon as he got out and slammed the door of that truck, um, those, you know, five boys, they just scattered. And on the way home, my dad's like, he, he dropped Steve off first. And then on the way home, he goes, you think about, um, you ever think about getting back into class? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to start Monday. And so I, I started and, and never stopped. Wow. So, you know, if I hadn't, hadn't been bullied, I, you know, I wouldn't gotten back into, you know, maybe I would have gotten into karate. I don't know if my career it would have been my career, but mm-hmm. you know, I got back into martial arts, started training and went to my first tournament as like a 10 year old white belt. And pretty lucky. I only had like my first tournament down in mobile. I only had like three kids in my division. Um, but I was pretty fortunate. I got first in forms and first in sparring. And so I, I kind of got the bug of, you know, wanting to compete. And so I started competing and, you know, five years later as a black belt, I was, you know, state champion and did that and then competed nationally. I, I won the battle of Atlanta and like the, like the junior black belt division mm-hmm. when I was, when I was like 15 and, you know, then went on to compete in NASCAR and, I had a really good year in 94 and got scouted for the TV show. And sometimes I tell my students the story of how I got back into martial arts, being bullied by, by Richie. And, and so um, when I moved to the house I'm, I'm in now, I had some neighbors move in. This has probably been probably even like five years ago. And the neighbor was asking me like, you know, how did you get into karate? And so I told him about, you know, how my dad had the motorcycle accident and how he got into karate. And then how I got into karate, I was bullied by this guy named Richie and everything. And he said, um, is it Richie's, you know, so-and-so he said his last name. And I'm like, yes. And he goes, um, he goes, I think I know him. He said, is he about your age? And I said, yeah. And, um, he said, I think I know him. And I said, well, I'll tell you what I said, um, invite him over over to the house for, for a game of pool. I, I want to talk to him. And so Richie came over. I told him the story. And he says, man, I, I apologize. I, I, I didn't even remember bullying you. I said, man, I was so afraid of you. I said, without, you know, you scaring me, I, I probably wouldn't have got gotten back into martial arts. I, I wouldn't have become a state champion or a national champion. I wouldn't have been on a television series. I said, I want to thank you for, you know, a lot of people wouldn't think like that, I guess, to mm-hmm. you know, thank their bully. But if I hadn't, you know, got into that, he said, man, I don't even remember bullying you. I said, well, you know, it's just I said, you are the Richie that grew up like around like on Sixth Avenue next to Westwood Drive and went, went to Brookhaven uh, Middle School. And he's like, yeah, that's that's me. And I said, well, that, that was you then. I said, you had me really scared. And, and he said, I, I don't even remember that. He said, I do remember that particular year, he said, my, my father passed away and he said, I had a, a mentally challenged brother that I had to take care of when my, my mom had to work like three jobs. And so I said, you know, look, you, you know, you were probably frustrated and lashing out, you know, you lost your dad and taking care of your brother. I said, I, I don't blame you. I said, matter of fact, I, I, I thank you for, you know, giving me such a great career because, <laughs> because if you hadn't bullied me, I wouldn't have been back into martial arts. So I, I really, uh, it was good seeing him again. And, and um, and he's a pretty good pool player, by the way. So <laughs> it all it all worked out. It all worked out. Wow, say that. What a story. Now, what style was that? What style did your dad teach? Okay, so my dad first, when he first joined, he trained in uh, Jung Mukwan Taekwondo uh, with a guy, uh, Master Wan Young Chung, 
And then in about 74, 75, I was probably, you know, just right before I started school, my uh, first grade, uh, Master Chung moved away. And so by the time I started taking at age, like really getting serious about karate when I was age 10, my dad, uh, when his instructor moved, my dad um, switched over from Taekwondo to a Tong Sudo okay. uh, with, a, with a master, Young Ju Lee, who, was, who had trained in Korea under the Kwajanem uh, Wong Ki, which is the, one of the instructors that was over uh, Chuck Norris when Chuck mm-hmm. Norris was testing in Korea, so uh, under uh, J.C. Shin. So, you know, I just um, – my dad did. The, he had a black belt in Taekwondo, but he also, you know, had a rank in the um, in the Tung Sudo. So I never ranked in Taekwondo, but my, my primary style was Tung Sudo. Okay. So then think back then when you when you joined back up after taking a few years off, you were ten. Obviously, you got back into it because you were being bullied. Once you were in it, what made you want to stick with it? What was it about it that drew you into it and made you want to keep going? You know, I, my dad had a really good example for karate. You know, he wasn't just, um, I was pretty much a forms, forms guy, but mm-hmm. my dad was more into the, um, uh, fighting part. He, he trained a lot of guys, not just in point fighting, but he had a, like a full contact group that he was, you know, training with and teaching and they would go to these, you know, term, not tournaments, but like, you know, full contact fights. And uh, I would tag along and I would be like, okay, I, I want to spar, but I don't want to spar like that. You know, I would see guys, you know, with their noses broken and, and, uh, you know, people, you know, one of our guys, one time we went to a, over in Dalton, Georgia, went to a competition. One of our guys, uh, I guess, beat like their hometown favorite or whatever. And people were throwing beer bottles in the ring and we had to like, you know, run to our car pretty much, you know, getting jumped in the parking lot kind of thing. So my dad kind of came from the, blood and guts uh, era of martial arts where they you know because when my dad got his black belt i mean they were they would spar with without pads i mean you would just put a piece of tape across your knuckles or something and they did the the point fighting back then was was pretty strong and so i just kind of grew up around it and just go into the studio every week and you know learning the forms and weapons and we did a little bit of everything like um, you know a lot of people kind of crack jokes on people that break boards and things they think that's kind of for kids but mm-hmm. i mean the way we did it i mean we were doing boards and bricks and river rocks i mean we were doing like uh, some pretty pretty advanced uh, demonstrations and um i remember uh, one of our demonstrations we did here in our town there was a, a skating it was called the skate castle and it opened up and i remember doing a demo there like on their opening night and probably 2000 people there. And, you know, I still have the, the old VHS tape, you know, I'm kind of old school. So oh, I still wow. have the, some of the old tapes and things like that of, you know, us doing demos and tournaments, but it's probably more of the tournaments than anything else. Cause my dad was always going, he had a tournament of his own. So he was going to everybody else's tournament because mm-hmm. he was like, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't go to their tournament, they're not going to come to yours. So he would, you know, we would go all over and compete and, so I kind of got the tournament bug. You know, I really enjoyed the uh, the competition and I uh, liked the, you know, I competed in forms fighting and weapons, but forms mostly, you know, sparred in a few tournaments, did weapons at a little more. But forms is what I really gravitated towards. We had yeah. one of my dad's top black belts. His name was also Jamie, uh, Jamie Hooper. And he was ranked um, number two in the nation at one time. He was in all the black belt and karate illustrated magazines. Uh, number one in the region and things like that. So learned a lot of forms from this guy and weapons and things. And so, you know, he really turned me on to the the artistic side of, of martial arts rather than just the fighting. And so, you know, when I got the gig for the TV show, 
I didn't really have to learn a lot of, you know, how to act out a punch or take a kick or whatever, because we'd all we'd already been doing that for our whole lives, you know, doing demos and and um, fight scenes and, you know, for our demonstration team and stuff like that. So I was pretty natural. You know, I already knew a lot of the how to sell, you know, a hit or whatever. So mm-hmm. that's just kind of how I grew up. You know, it's always around it. My dad had schools. Uh, he would open up branches of schools and like our neighboring uh, towns and things like that. So by the time I was got my driver's license at 16, I mean, I would drive to these locations and, you know, lead classes. And uh, I remember at 16 years old, I mean, I don't know how many 16 year olds that I don't know, my dad let me by myself. He let me drive to Atlanta wow. and do a seminar <laughs> over there. And I thought I was rich because I did a seminar and made like $300 <laughs> uh, at Keith, at Keith Chatham's uh, karate studio. And, and, Right outside of Atlanta, it seemed like he was in Douglasville or somewhere like that. But, okay. you know, just always um, going and teaching and taking seminars. And I still do that. Like I just took a seminar this past weekend from uh, Dean Lister, who's mm. probably one of the top 10 grapplers in the world and got to train with him, did a three hour clinic with him. So I've, I've continued studying like I've never really stopped. You know, I always tell my students to further their learning and, you know, keep going, learn all you can from anybody you can. And things like that. You know, when my dad was doing karate, like the old Korean masters, you couldn't even play music in the studio, much less do like a musical form mm-hmm. um, or a creative form, or you had to do all traditional. But my dad always encouraged me. He's like, Hey, look, you have these heroes when you go to these tournaments and you love people like George Chung and Ernie Reyes and John Chung and uh, Keith Hirabayashi and Cynthia Rothrock. He said, you know, you can copy their techniques. Like, learn. He said, we'll even go and train with these people. So I was 16 years old. My dad took me to Mineola, New York and on Long Island, and I got to train with John Chung. And wow. so we were always just, you know, going and doing something with martial arts all my whole life. It was all it was surrounded. And my mom would be like, Every time we'd be over dinner, she's like, can you guys talk about anything else? Because it's always karate <laughs> all the time. You guys don't talk about anything else. But it was our whole lives. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what we that's what we did. That was our job, you know. That's cool. So what was your weapon of choice with the times you competed with weapons? Yeah, usually the bow shafts. Okay. I did it like a, a bow. You know, I never was like a top bow player, like a Mike Bernardo or anybody yeah. like that. <laughs> the guys I competed with. But, you know, for local stuff around, you know, um, I, I would do a bow form and, you know, I would usually win some local tournaments, but I, I didn't really venture out and try to, you know, do the bow at any kind of NASCA events or anything like that. I mean, I was good, but I wasn't like that level. Yeah. Forms is what I really like to do. I, I really love the creative forms. I always study traditional forms as well. And I remember one tournament up in Boston, I did a tournament up there, like the new England open, like in 94 and I, Kevin Thompson and I, we tied, he had done a traditional form and I did my creative form, probably the one you saw at the, at the diamonds. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we tied and they said, okay, you got to do a different form. And so I thought, well, I'm going to do a traditional form. So I did like this one con, like this tiger claw form. And then he did a creative form. (laughs) He did like an aerial cartwheel Mm -hmm. and he stumbled a little bit. And maybe if he hadn't stumbled, you know, maybe he would have, would have beaten me, but he hit little tripped a little bit. And so uh, some of the judges came up to me and said, man, if you had done that form first, you probably would have, wouldn't even have tied. You probably would have won. I'm like, I don't know. Like uh, Kevin's one of my heroes, you know, because Kevin would do forms, fighting and weapons. You know, he was always a triple crown winner. Wow. Uh, he would do it all. So, um, yeah, I've just been competing all my life. That's cool. What, you know, you said you, when you were 16, you started going and teaching at other schools. So what age did you first start teaching at? So my dad let me start teaching when I was uh, about 
I got my black belt the summer before I turned 15. So about a year before that as a red belt, he would let me warm up like some kids classes. Like if we had a beginner kids class or an advanced kids class, I got to lead like uh, some of the exercises and stretching. And then that kind of few months later, I could take a group over to the side and take them through their forms. And, and before, you, you know, a year passed, I was leading a whole class by myself. So think back so, to then. Think back to that that first few times you taught for your dad to now. What do you think has changed about your teaching style over the years? Well, I think one of the reasons, you know, if, I, if I'm, you know, any good at teaching, I think it's because my dad started letting me teach so young. You know, just, um, you know, that's a, you know, being a good teacher, you, you have to have a lot of patience with kids. And I, you know, remember teaching these kids and, you know, they would be, I would be like 14 and they would be like, I don't know, maybe like nine, eight, nine years old. And then, you know, fast forward 20 years, I would have people call me and say, Hey, I, I used to take karate from you. I want to get my child down there with you now. <laughs> and, uh, and I would say, well, you probably learned from my dad. You didn't, you didn't learn probably from me. And they would say, was this Jamie or Jimmy? I said, no, this is Jamie. And they said, no, I took your class. And then I find out that I was only like five years older than them. And then they're like, I always thought you were so older. And I'm like, well, you know, when you're eight or nine and your instructor is 14, 15, you kind of think that they're older, but mm -hmm. you know, they're not. So, um, you know, I would just teaching and, you know, one of those things where, you know, I always try to do a, a well-balanced curriculum, like not just do the forms, but I mean, yeah, I competed with the forms, but I mean, we mm -hmm. would teach mm -hmm. forms, sparring, weapons, board breaking, self-defense. But now I've kind of got my curriculum. I don't want to say I've got it, you know, down to a science, but we, we do this thing. I haven't seen other schools do it, but I have a thing where I line the kids up. They're on these marks. Uh, we have little, um, it looks like a wolf, um, like a paw print. It looks like a wolf print. Nice. And they're like six feet apart. So in our school, we have a pretty small school. I've got five rows of five, so we can fit like, you know, 25 kids in there uh, comfortably. But if you're on the first row, that typically means you're a, you've been there the longest. You're a high, higher belt sign up in the front. So like the first kid will bow us in. The second kid, I have, I have this little um, bell that's from Korea. So the second kid, his job is to come up, his or her job is to come up and ring the bell. The third kid's job is you lead laps around the perimeter of the mat. So you like you're the leader and you call out okay, everybody runs sideways, everybody skip or run backwards or or whatever. And then they do that five or ten laps. And then uh, the fourth kid's job, they do something called animal crawls. That's something that um, I've been uh, watching like videos with Edo Portal for probably a good 10 years now. So some of the animal like, you know, back then, everybody kind of knew how to do a bear crawl or a crab walk or whatever, but we've kind of expanded that out to where we're doing like the flamingo and the scorpion and, you know, the lizard or whatever. So if you're the fourth kid, you pick an animal crawl that everybody has to copy your animal crawl that you've chosen. So everybody goes down the mat doing uh, a rabbit or a frog or whatever they're doing exercise. And there's a lot of kids nowadays, you know, when I was a kid, all kids were out, especially in the summer. I mean, you were out all day, you know, you were running and riding your bike and climbing trees and building forts. And now a lot of kids are kind of like, I don't know, like house cats or something. They sit in the air conditioning, play video games. And, you know, they're just or if they're in school, they're sitting in a school desk, you know, seven hours a day. And, you know, by the time they're in high school, they can't even touch their toes. I mean, they're just you know really stiff. And so I try to get these kids moving with some animal crawls, you know, using muscles that they don't normally use. 
And then if you're on the fifth job, we always say that the fifth job is the most important because they have to come up to the front, stand with the teachers and the assistant instructors, and they have to do what we call the key concepts. So we have uh, words on the wall above our flags, uh, words like respect and discipline and focus and attitude. And there's like 16 of these key concepts. The fifth person's job, they uh, get to lead the key concepts, but they can pick a movement to do the concepts to. So they could punch, uh, lead punches as they recite the concepts or kicks or jumping jacks or crunches or whatever. And so usually the the five jobs take about seven minutes or so. So it's kind of our little warm up that we do. Mm-hmm. And kids just cannot wait to, you know, earn a few belts and, finally get to be on the first row or they pray for a small class to where they, you know, haven't been on the first row before. And today's their first day to get to lead, you know, the animal crawls or it's their first day to, you know, lead the key concepts or whatever. So that's kind of something that I've done here probably in the last uh, probably four or five years where they, they do those jobs. And then once the jobs are completed, we usually have what's called a mat chat where um, well, I'll pick a word and I'll give them an example of how you would use this uh, word in your life, whether it's on the mat or at home or at school, you know, how you would use perseverance or patience, you know, when you're off the mat or, or whatever. So we have a little mat chat. Uh, then we get back to some more physical movements. We usually pick uh, some type of exercise, either a push-up variation or some stretching, just a couple of minutes on each one of those. You know, I used to, when I was a young teacher, you know, in my 20s or whatever, I, I felt like their you know, base flexibility wasn't where it should be. So I'm stretching them for 20 minutes or whatever. And my dad was like, you know, Jamie, you can't, you know, when people are paying for lessons, you know, they can stretch at home. You need to motivate them to stretch at home because you don't want them half their class being just stretching. Yeah. You know, you want to make sure you're doing technique where you, you're because if you stretch half the class, how are you going to have time to fit in uh, a couple of topics like, you know, a weapon or a board break or a sparring match or a grappling match or whatever. So now I've kind of got the, the exercise and stretching, you know, they do their little warm up jobs for about seven minutes. And then we probably uh, do an exercise or a stretch for another, you know, five, 10 minutes. And then you have the majority of the class, you know, a good solid half hour to focus on a couple topics. And um, I have been guilty probably of trying to fit too much into a class, yep. you know, um, doing, trying to fit in a lot of topics. So now we've kind of got our curriculum down to where they're doing forms every week. It's just not every single class. Okay. Um, you know, I wrote, I rotate the curriculum around. So, you know, if they do forms like a other location, sometimes they just, you know, every Wednesday they're doing weapons and I'm trying to encourage them that, you know, if your weapons are every Wednesday, what if you have a kid that can't come on Wednesday? They either have church or they have scouts or they have some some other, you know, conflict that they can't be there. I said they never get to practice the the nunchaku or the bow or right. or anything like that. So so we have it now where I also have I kind of rotate that around. So they may do, you know, kicks and forms on one day and the next day it might be sparring and self-defense and the next day to be grappling. But then the next week it kind of rotate flip-flops around. So if you did kicks and forms on a Monday, the next week it may not fall to a Tuesday or a, you know, a Thursday or something. And that way every kid gets everything. So by the time they roll around to their belt test, whether it's three months or six months, whatever belt they're going for, they've done everything multiple times. So I've noticed that you know, in the past where some kid may be going for their orange belt and they have to break a board and they're like, you know, 
I'm supposed to test on Friday. I, I haven't broken a board since I've joined up. Like I don't even I don't know what to do. Oh, wow. So now with this with this curriculum now, uh, they will have several opportunities each week to do that. And so by the time the belt test rolls around, they, they've done it enough that they feel comfortable and confident. That's probably one thing that's kind of I don't know evolved over the years of of teaching and, and trying to make it string I guess streamline where they mm-hmm. can because um, back in the day when my dad would teach self defense uh, it was all kind of wasn't all one step sparring or anything like that but it was um, it was a lot of that and my dad would show like a move and he was kind of old school like if if he taught you a, a one step sparring technique and and then he had to take a call or go talk to a parent in the office. If he came back out 10 minutes later, you'd better still be practicing the exact same thing you shoot. You can't change it. You could. And so I've got a self-defense set that I created where I took all of the different ways that you could be attacked, whether it's a, you know, like a beginner wrist grab. Not that that's probably a low percentage that somebody's going to attack you by grabbing your wrist. But we start with something basic like that, that a white belt can learn and mm-hmm. then escape a chokehold and then, you know, how to handle a, you know, somebody's trying to take you down or and so this set is more like a form. It's like a self-defense form because the problem that I saw on the one steps was my dad would show a, a different technique, seemed like every other class. And by the time somebody tested four months later, he had covered a couple of dozen techniques like you you should know, you know, how to block a do a takedown, like a roundhouse takedown or block a punch or get out of this hold or whatever. And then we would get on tests and say, OK, you've learned you know, 15 different uh, self-defense techniques. Show us your favorite, your favorite five techniques. Now, if they were uh, blue belt or whatever, they could do it. But like if they were, if it was on a yellow belt test, they would do like one or two moves and then kind of stand there and stare at each other. Like they wouldn't, they wouldn't continue. They would just couldn't think of any. They just, well, you know, a test, people are nervous too. And like they just, nothing would come to mind. And so I thought, well, to fix that problem, what we're going to do is we're going to have this set where if you're going for your white belt, a quote unquote bad guy's going to, uh, you know, grab your arm, you're going to escape and they're going to do a choke on you. You're going to escape. Then they're going to swing a right haymaker at you and you're going to slip underneath and do a back take. But then when you go from your, for your yellow belt, you're going to pick up from where you left off at the orange belt. You're going to learn how to, if somebody tries to pick you up, how to anchor the leg, how to set down your base and do like a knee bar. And then the person that got taken down from that's going to learn how to escape that and do like the correct, like technical stand up. And so, we would just link these moves together. So now all the kids know where the chapter breaks are. They're like, okay, I know at the end of green belt, I'm doing the second technical standup. And I know for my blue belt, it's going to end with a roundhouse takedown. And so they can do this self-defense set from white to black belt. They can link together 52 moves back to back to back instead of getting up there and staring at each other after they've done two things. Right. You know, they can get up there and do 50 things. So it's, it's really made that better. And then, you know, you, you always get some that will say, well, yeah, but the person's not going to attack you in that order. So I will show them that let's say the first three are wrist grab, defense, choke defense, and somebody's going to slap, like, do a haymaker slap at you. So I'll get a student that's been there for a while and I'll do it out of order. I'll like grab their arm, but instead of choking them second, I'll just go ahead and swing at them like it's the third move. And they always duck under and take the back just like they're supposed to. Because I tell them, like, if you get attacked, they're not always going to grab with their right hand. They're not always going to kick with their right leg. It may be. So we have to learn it both sides. Mm-hmm. So um, but that's kind of one change that I've made is the self-defense curriculum, because my dad always said that the self-defense is like the the backbone of martial arts, that you can know all these fancy 
kicks and forms and twirling a weapon and breaking a board, but that doesn't mean you can really defend yourself. And even some people that can spar pretty well, or, or maybe they do like no gi jujitsu and they're grappling. But if you, if you did a move where you say, okay, what if somebody came up behind you and, you know, got you off balance, put you in a chokehold, a lot of them don't know like basic self-defense or like, you know, how to handle a, a lapel grab or, you know, if somebody's got you pinned up against the wall, what if they have you pinned up against the wall or what if they have you down on the ground? Like, so my self-defense set has a broad, it's like a broad brush where if you learn it from white to black belt, and it even goes further than that. We have like a second degree set and third degree and so forth. That if you do that, you're going to learn everything from like, you know, how to sweep somebody from your guard. You're going to learn how to do an, an arm bar, a paintbrush, an omoplata, a triangle choke. You're going to learn all these skills where, you know, 20 years ago, the kids, they, they couldn't do that. Right. They couldn't remember it all. But now that I teach it like a, like a pattern, they do it great. I love that. That's a really good idea. If you have any videos of that, you'll have to send me a link because it'd be cool to see some Absolutely. of that. Absolutely. So, so we're actually about to launch. Uh, we have one more video to shoot and our curriculum will be uh, complete as far as for our, um, you know, a lot of our videos go up on the platforms, you know, TikTok and, you know, YouTube or whatever. And then we were starting our website and then one of, I uh, had a homeschool class I was actually teaching and I always ask the parents, you know, hey, you know, what, what kind of work do you do? You know, and most, you know, people, I'm, I'm police officer, firefighter, doctor, nurse, or whatever. But I had this one one uh, dad who's bringing his kid to homeschool class, and uh, which is also something I didn't offer until just a few years ago, mm-hmm. that I do a homeschool class. And this dad, he goes, well, I do, um, I create apps for uh, businesses. I'm like, okay, I want like a martial art app where people can click on my app. They can click on whether they want to learn, you know, once they get into the app, they can click on the, the kicking part self-defense, any kind of topic you can think of that we offer, it's going to, it's going to have that on there. That's cool. And so we're wow. just about ready to launch that. And, uh, that way a student can, can get on the app and, and, uh, and learn just a tremendous amount because they'll see the basics they have to know for their belt, but then they can also, uh, go into a section of the app where they can learn, like, let's say they were wanting to learn the kicks for their you know, first belt. So we do orange uh, and they have to do a front kick and a roundhouse kick. And so, you know, we'll demonstrate like a little three minute lesson. This is how you chamber your knee. This is how you curl your toes back and, you know, show uh, kicking a little uh, paddle, you know, a little paddle target or a heavy bag or something. This is how you do your roundhouse, da, 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 three minutes. But then you can also uh, delve deeper into it. So like, if you want like an, an hour clinic, on the first five kicks of martial arts you can you can click in there and do our first five kicks of what we teach you know basically front round side hook and maybe a, like a crescent kick or an axe kick or something you can go in there and you can spend an hour and have like a full-on clinic like you can do so if we're teaching a self-defense you can see it demonstrated it takes 30 seconds you can see it explain quick explanation two three minutes but then if you want to click on and say, I want to learn all the fine details, like the really all the little micro movements of this move, we may do a seminar where you learn like a, an arm bar. The person defends that you go into a triangle choke person defends that you you go into. A, um, no, sorry, you do arm bar and then I'm going to plot it in a triangle, that, that particular sequence. And we may spend an hour and a half working on just those three about exactly how to move your hip, exactly where to, you know, place the opponent's arm, exactly how to control their head. So that they're learning the the finest details. Hopefully, you know, the goal is just to make better students where if they, yeah. if they go to any school, like I've had some of my black belts travel, 
one of my black belts, uh, Greg Woodruff, he's been training, he's been working out West and he'll go into a, a Muay Thai school or he'll go into a jujitsu school. And they, he always calls me and say that, that they really praise him and say, you know, where did you learn? You know, you're, you're so well-rounded. You can do all the, you know, kicks and, you know, self-defense and no matter what we do, grappling, whatever, mm-hmm. they always hold their own. And, um, one of my other black belts, uh, Mr. Pat Underwood, uh, he's been um, working on a live action show where it's like a superhero show. I guess we have like uh, Marvel. You have Spider-Man. And mm-hmm. anyway, he's like second string for Spider-Man. I think he's first string for a character called Iron Fist. He just got that gig uh, just a few months ago. So he's been training for that. They've been showing him how to do falls uh, from like 20 feet up, how to do wire gags and things like that. Nice. And so he leaves. He's back now, but he's going to leave in another month and he's going to be gone for one year. And he'll be performing like in Dubai, Philippines, Saudi Arabia. He's traveling the world wow. with this live action show. And he calls me and he's like, Sabanim. That's what they call me in Korean. You know, yep. Sabanim. Um, they have me leading kicks already. Like, like, you know, they see all my techniques and they're like, they already have me like leading groups. He said, because some of these performers are, you know, gymnasts. Some of them are, you know, stunt people or whatever. And he said, but when it comes to the kicking part, they put me in charge and I get to lead all of that. That's cool. And so it makes me feel proud as a teacher to say, Hey, Pat or Greg or whomever, my top black belts can travel, train at these studios, train at these, you know, uh, big productions like this is a full on production with this live action show. And like they've already put him in charge of of one of the, you know, some of the routines and choreography. He's like, Sabanem, you you did your TV show back when I was eight years old. And it seemed like you were gone for like a year and it was only like two or three months. But it seemed like you were gone forever. He said, now I'm doing the same thing that that you did pretty much. He said, I'm on, you know, a show. And so it makes me feel proud that, that what I teach is can carry on, you know, like a a legacy, so, so to speak. Oh, yeah, that's really cool. Let's congrats on that. So you, know, you mentioned the show. Just kind of talk about how did that come about? I did. How did, did you find out about it and go audition? Do they see you in tournaments and say, hey, we want you on the show? Kind of how, how did WMAC Masters happen for you? Yeah, so so I was competing uh, pretty heavily in 94, had a really good year. You know, leading up to that, you know, I guess early 90s, you know, 91, 92, 93, right in there, I would go and compete, and I would always get like fourth and fifth. And one time I got a third, and I just couldn't believe it. I was like, man, I got third place. It's so awesome. And I was always doing the Korean the Korean division. Uh, it wasn't traditional, but, you you know, it was pretty much uh, Korean style. But I could do a lot more than that. Like, I could do, like, kip-ups and back tiger dives and, like, c- kind of like Jackie Chan stuff, like a lot of, um, you know, kip-ups and back tiger dives and things. And so I had this creative form, but I was always, like, wanting to stay with the tradition because I really liked – I liked it all, but I, I really wanted to rank up and or be, you know, recognized as winning the Korean division. And so in 94, I was like, you know – I think this is going to be my last year. I'm going to compete one more year. And if I don't do better than third, I'm just going to quit. You know, I'm not going to quit karate. I'm going to teach forever, but I'm going to quit spending seven, 800 bucks every six weeks going to a tournament because I was spending, you know, airfare and hotel and food and entry fee. And I was just like, you know, I'm going to college and working two jobs and barely training, but, you know, um, teaching all the time. But it's just one of these things where I was just like, you know, if I don't have like a breakthrough year, I think I'm just going to wrap it up or whatever. I'm kind of just just done with that competing part of my life. But anyway, this this 94, I started out, did a tournament out in Irvine, California, outside of L.A., I think. And so I switched over to the 
American forms to this. And I always felt like that was an oxymoron, like a, you know, American karate. Like, is there really such a thing? Like, you know, I don't know. But I thought, you know, I'm just going to give it a shot. So I competed in the American division. There's only 10 of us. I did my, I think I got first draw. I had to go first, which is if you compete in forms, you always want to go towards the end or especially last, unless you have seeds and you can't. But I had to go first. I'm not going to win anything going first. I'll probably, whatever. So they called out like eighth place and kept going up. And then they called out fourth and it wasn't me. Like I usually get third and it wasn't me. I was like, shh. This is it. I'm done. I'm done. Called out second. They called out first. They said, Jamie Webster. I, I literally looked to my right and to my left thinking. Another Jamie Webster. <laughs> leave it. Like at first place. So I went up there and got my little slip and they gave me, you know, you go pick up your trophy. And then I go back to the ho- tournament hotel. Or it was in the tournament hotel. I go upstairs in my room. I lie down watching TV. Can't believe I got first place. Just can't believe it. And then I sat straight up in the bed and I thought, holy crap, I have to compete tonight on stage. Like I'm, I've made it to the, st- I didn't, it didn't even dawn on me. Are you going to be competing tonight? The, wow. Like you're going to, you're going to be competing. Oh, and you don't even have music by the way, dummy. Like, what are you going to do? And so one of the guys I competed with, or um, he's from our studio, he had gotten like a fourth that day in his, his uh, division. He did a musical for him. And I said, Hey man, um, I'm going to have to borrow your music. Like, I don't have any music. And um, I said, yeah, I want to borrow your music, you know, since, uh, you know, you won't be needing it. So I'm going to borrow it if that's okay. And so I competed with borrowed music. I'd never done my form to this particular song or whatever, but I, I did the music. And I was so, like, keyed up. Like, my thing was I just want to compete and not fall down. Like I want to compete, not slip or stumble. Like I just want to nail my routine. And if I don't place, or if I don't win grands or I don't expect to, I didn't expect to win the first. So I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm just happy to be here. I'm just happy to be here. And so um, when they started calling out the scores, like 9.99, 10 points, 9.99, 10, 10, I didn't hear any of that. (laughs) I didn't hear it because I was just so keyed up. And so I walked off the stage and a couple other competitors gave me a high five and said, man, you got it. And I said, I got what? And he goes, you won. And I'm like, one, like, what are you talking? I said, there's like, you got some tens, like you won. I'm like, and they called me up grand champion, got the plaque, got the jacket and everything. That was at empire state national. So that was in um, that particular one, I think was in, let's see, might've been empire. I can't remember. Okay. Like, I can't remember. Anyway, I was the first time I, I switched over to the American division. I'd won first, didn't expect it, didn't have the music, barred music, won the grand champion. But somehow that gave me some confidence of like, okay, you can hang with these guys. Like you have paid your dues. You've been doing this since you were five years old. Like you, you can do it and you can hang and you can win. So I went to the next tournament. I got first again and grand champion. Went to Battle of Atlanta, first and grand champion. I went to uh, Texas Challenge, Al Garza's Texas Challenge in Houston, got first and grand champion. Uh, six more tournaments. Got I didn't win any more grands after that, but I got first every single time, like 10 tournaments in a row. But when I was at battle, Jeff Smith, like the light heavyweight, um, former light heavyweight uh, kickboxing champion, mm-hmm. he uh, he said, hey, you need to um, you need to come with me. Like, you need to meet some of these uh, top guys, you know, um, not not competitors, but like tournament promoters. You need to go talk to some of these people. And so I uh, started talking to you know, people like Joe Corley and, you know, some of the different ones that put on these big tournaments. And um, I was like, man, I just don't feel like I belong. Like these are all these, you know, big shots or whatever. Well, anyway, Pat Johnson, 
who was, um, you know, the referee in the old Karate Kid movie, you know, first guy to get his black belt with Chuck Norris. And anyway, he was there. And he was, I didn't know, but he was scouting for this new TV show that was called Quest for the Dragon Star. So anyway, he called me and he said, uh, hey, Jamie, this is Pat Johnson from Los Angeles. I'm calling you about the TV show. And I thought it was a crank call. I'm like, uh, <laughs> this is this is Johnny. He's like, excuse me. I'm like, this crank this is a prank. He's like, no, no, this is Pat John. And then I realized, okay, this is really Pat Johnson. <laughs> he said, he said, I saw you compete at a tournament before. He said, I didn't call you. He said, because I thought you might be a little arrogant. And I was like, well, wh- who, wh- why would you think like who told you? About, well, I don't understand. He goes, well, when you got through with your form, like you celebrated, like you kind of put both hands up in the air, like Rocky and kind of danced around a little bit. And I was just like, well, I, I didn't mean to come across that way. I said, I try to pride myself on being humble, have humility. I said, but, you know, I guess it was a competition. I'm trying to sell myself, you know, to, you know, to pump it up or whatever. I said, but, um, you know, I, I would really like this opportunity. He said, okay, I want you to um, come to New York in the morning. And I was like, okay, Mr. Johnson, um, usually you don't just leave Decatur, Alabama. It's like drop by New York City. Like, I, I, what? what, what he goes, we've got an airline ticket waiting on you. He said, you can fly out of Huntsville. He said, you can come up here, do audition. If everything goes well, you sign a contract and be on the show. So I go up there. Sure enough, they take me to a karate studio. like a It's like a kung fu school, I guess. Anyway, they said, do your form. So I started doing my uh, form. And at the particular time, I actually had some um, some inner ear trouble. And I didn't find out that what I really had until I was on the show. So I had something kind of, I don't know if it was behind my, I don't know all the science of it, but something was messing up my, didn't mess up my balance, but I got really dizzy. Like every time I would do some of my flips and back tiger dives and kip ups, I would finish my form, but I would be like drunk almost. Like I would be so, the room would be spinning and I could barely keep my balance. So anyway, they said, well, show us some of your moves. So I flip around a little bit and I stop to kind of get my bearings again. Like, okay, that was awesome. Show Show us some more. And I would kind of stall around till I got my my balance back under me because I didn't want to like not get the job because I had some kind of medical thing. <laughs> yep. And so I, I wait 30, 45 seconds and I flip around again and they're like, man, that's awesome. Do some more. They said, every time you get going really good, you just stop. And I didn't want to say, well, it's because I got some inner ear trouble. So anyway, they said, OK, great. You got the part. They pulled out a 30 page contract. <laughs> they said, take this home, show it to your agent and show it to your uh, attorney. And I said, man, I, I don't have an agent or an attorney. I don't have all this stuff. They said, well, you can just sign if you want to do it. It's a standard deal. So I signed the deal. A couple months later, I'm in Orlando at the Universal Studios, like getting fitted for my costume and like meeting all the other characters. But it was basically, you know, Pat Johnson uh, scouted me and gave me a call and I showed up and did my thing. That's so cool. What do you think? I mean, it's because it's kind of making a little comeback. I mean, it's not, you know, it's been the popularity I and mean, it's, it's always been popular, but it's kind of the last year or two I saw with like Chris's book and stuff. And you guys, some of the guys have been going to tournaments and, and talking about it and stuff. And that's kind of got to feel pretty cool. I mean, 20 years later. Sure. You know, I, I thought, you know, this is one of those things where, you know, five years after the show wrapped, I mean, you know, it was, we only filmed for two seasons. I mean, we made 26 episodes 
And um, from what I was told that you do a first season, it's 13 episodes, second season is 13 episodes, third season, if there's one, you do 14 because 13 plus 13 plus 14 is 40. Once you hit 40 episodes, they'll start showing the show instead of on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m., mm-hmm. They'll start showing it Monday through Friday right after school. Nice. And then it hits like a, it's like a big thing. Well, it never reached that. And so five years after the show wrapped, I get a call one day and this guy's like, hey, uh, you remember me from high school? I'm like, oh, of course. And he goes, I'm watching your show right now. And I said, oh, you've got like one of the videos. He goes, no, no, it's on TV. I said, man, that show hasn't been on TV. And I said, <laughs> they show reruns for a couple of years. I said, but it hasn't been on television in two or three years. And he goes, um, he goes, no, I'm, I'm watching it right now. He said, I'm in, he said, I'm in the military. He said, I'm in Dominican Republic. And he said, you're on TV in Spanish. He said, but your name is still, they'll say Jamie Webster. And he said, I'm in the kitchen and I hear, you know, da, 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 Jamie Webster. I'm like, I know that name. I know that. He said, I went in there. He said, heck, it's you. I just thought I'd call and tell you that you're on TV right now in Dominican Republic. Wow. I was like, that is so crazy. And so, you know, all these years later, it's probably, I don't know, probably three, four years ago, I get a call or I got a letter, a handwritten letter. Like somebody sat down, wrote a letter, said, hey, I found where, you know, your episodes on YouTube and it's, I'm showing my kids and. They wanted me to write you a letter and see if you would send them an autograph or something. So I just thought that is so crazy. 20 years later, they want, you know, autographs. So I sent it to them. And then just a few years ago, uh, Christopher Landis called. He said, Hey, um, during COVID, he said, I'm a writer. He said, I write novels for my, for my living, for my job. And he said, I, when I was growing up, he said, your show was one of my favorite shows as a kid. I said, I just absolutely loved it. And he said, I showed it to my kids and he said, they love it. And he said, I thought, you know, I'm going to write a behind the scenes novel. He said, I'm going to call all these actors and producers and directors and interview them over the phone. You know, let them tell stories just like I'm telling you. And he said, I'm going to put it into a book form. And he said, and see what it does. So he wrote the book and and then he would call me, you know, uh, seemed like, you know, every week or two he'd call. We'd, we'd talk, you know, for 45 minutes or an hour. And he'd jot down all the stories. And, and, then, um, and then the book came out and he's like, hey, I'm doing a book signing. Would you want to come to Washington, D.C. at Dennis Brown's Capital Classics? There's another tournament, which I had won. Mm-hmm. They used to hold it every August, and it's, still it was in August. So he's like, hey, I'm going to be there. You want to come up? He said, Willie the Bam Johnson's going to be there. He said, so-and-so, you know, was supposed to be there. Well, we get there, and, and it's, it's me and Willie the Bam, Christine Bannon Rodriguez, uh, Lady Lightning, and then it was uh, Hakeem, uh, the machine. Yep, Austin. So got, got to see all these people, you know, and uh, – uh, again, which is, is so cool. And um, so got to sign some books for some people. I actually brought my um, my costume. I still have my costume from the show. Oh, wow. Uh, they had two costumes. So in case one got ripped, you just put on another one. And so I was competing somewhere doing a seminar. And I asked, I said, can I? So these people want to take pictures. And I said, can I have one of my costumes just to do pictures? And then, you know, I can bring it back with me when we do season three. Well, there never was a season three, and mm-hmm. so they never asked for it back. And so <laughs> nice. I still have it. Matter of fact, my son Grayson, one year when he was he was still a he's still a big dude. You know, Grayson's a good sized man. But when he was like, I don't know, eleven or something, one of his last years trick or treating, he wanted to wear my costume. So I let him wear the costume to go around trick or treating. That's and, cool. But so I still have it, and I, I probably I, I brag that I have the largest WMAC Masters collection. In the world, because when I got back home, started teaching again, I was kind of like a hometown hero, like a celebrity. 
And even like I, we would, uh, me and my kids, we would travel. We would go to, you know, take my kids to the mountains or take them to the beach or whatever. And just about every time we would go to a Cracker Barrel to eat or go somewhere, go to anywhere. We'd go into a grocery store. Somebody would see me and go, you're Jamie Webster. You're the great wolf. And my kids would be like, everybody knows you, dad. That's so crazy. <laughs> I'm like, well, I can't believe that they know me because that show has not been on in years. And I don't know how they remember this and how, cause I look so different now. Cause I look, you know, everybody's so much older and, you know, but anyway, people still would recognize me or whatever. But I have, when I came back home from the show, I would go to KB toys in our mall. And if they had a shipment of WMAC masters in, I would just buy the whole box. <laughs> Nice. I would buy like I see these on eBay. I see these WMAC Masters um, Dragon Belts, and they're like a hundred dollars or three hundred dollars. I'm like nobody's going to pay that for that. Plus, I have a box of a dozen. Like I have a I have a whole box that's never been opened. <laughs> wow. And I have boxes of the arena multiples. Like I have probably three or four arenas never been opened. All the play sets never been opened. Uh, action figures, uh, tapes, Halloween costume. Uh, books, anything that came out, anything and everything. I have multiple copies. And so um, the only th- only figure that I don't have is Panther. And I saw someone had, I don't know if it was a prototype or if they only released like a few, because his was one of the ones they didn't release very many. I've seen one person that, that has it. And Grayson, my son, contacted them and said, hey, would you sell it? To complete my dad's collection. He's like, no, I just got, I don't want to sell it. He's like, if you ever decide to sell it, Please let us know first because my dad was on the show and he wants to complete the collection. I even have a one of my figures. It's the craziest thing. It's not my figure. It's Mike Bernardo's figure. Mm-hmm. So it's turbo. But the header card, like the you know the figures in a sealed, like it's got a card on the back and a little plastic cover. So the figure under the plastic is Mike Bernardo. The header card is my header card. So oh, it was wow. a mistake. And it never, it hasn't been tampered with. So you could tell it wasn't like somebody put it together or what. It just came from the factory like that. And it was on eBay. It was on eBay for $5. And so I'm one of these nerdy guys that I'll I'll get on there. I don't know, every three or four months. And I'll just type in WMAC Master, see if there's anything new for sale that I don't have. And I saw that on there. I'm like, I'm getting that. It's only $5. And so I got it, you know, and it's an error. So I feel like, well, that's probably worth more than that. So I got oh, my yeah. costume. I've got my costume. I've got pretty much anything to do with the show. I, I have like my my card that I had to like, uh, I have all the scripts, like every script that we ever did. Um, I have all the scripts. So I saved everything. And um, I'm a little pack rat on that kind of stuff. So I have I have everything from the show. That is so cool. It was my my first gig. So I was like, I'm, I may not ever get this opportunity again. So I'm going to, you know, save everything. So I have it all uh, in my man cave. It's all, some of it's hanging on the wall and, and stuff like that down in my pool table room. So, um, you know, if people come over and it's funny, like when Grayson and Daniel were probably, um, I don't know, maybe 14, 13, 14, they would have friends over and as they would come down the basement stairs to play pool as they're walking down the stairs, they would say, hey, listen, I want to apologize. My dad's kind of nerdy. He's got all this Star Wars crap, and he's got WMAC, this show he was on. He's got all this vintage stuff all hanging around, and it's kind of stupid. And as soon as the, the kid would get down there, they would go, oh, my goodness. My dad would have a fit if he saw all this. This is amazing. <laughs> he has every figure there's ever been. He has all the Star Wars 12-inch figures and all the Star Wars, you know, 
And so, um, so they were apologizing that how the man cave looked, but yet the kids found it to be just the opposite, how amazing and cool it was. So So I said, see your, I said, see your old dad is not as, uh, you know, out of touch as you would think, like (laughs) your friends think it's cool. You're the one that thinks it's, you know, stupid or whatever. So, um, yeah, but all those, so, you know, I got a, when I did the, the book signing, I got a call from, um, well, I got, I got lady that worked on the show. She was like a, like an assistant, um, on a show you have a director and then you have like assistant director and then you have like an assistant to the assistant. So this person, you know, basically assistant to the assistant, they just make sure everybody has their scripts. You know, they bring people coffee or whatever, you know, they're just kind of, you know, you start out like that, but then now you fast forward 25 years, this person has shows on Netflix and things like that. So I called Shannon and I'm like, Hey, um, you know, this book's out and, you know, I don't know about the rest of the athletes. I said, but, um, I've kept my shape pretty good. You know, I still train and teach. And I said, um, I hear there's a buzz about like, um, a remake show. And she goes, well, they're, they're just waiting on uh, a couple of, um, producers, like, you know, a show like that's going to be, you know, tens of millions of dollars to pay, you know, all, you know, when you have a cast like that, you're paying not just the cast, but directors and mm-hmm. all the you know ad spots and stuff or whatever. She said, you know, she said, as soon as we get the funding, we're looking at doing at least a, a cast reunion show. Cause I first said, you know, I said, I don't know. I said, I've kept my shape. I said, but even though I have, I said, I don't know too many people that want to tune in to see like 50 year old fat boys fighting or whatever. Like it's, <laughs> you know i'm in good shape for a 50 year old but i'm not in shape like i was and and she goes no no no. what we would do she said that would you would be it would be wmac like grandmasters like you guys would be training these young recruits and y'all would have cameo appearances in there and you would be like teaching instead of like fighting but they would be moves you would do but it would be more like on, on that level i'm like well i'm down and so at the time i had for past 20 years i've had a short haircut so i'm like okay I'm going to grow my hair out for this. She's like, you don't have to do that. She said, we can do like a wig or extensions and it would look good. And I said, no, no, no. If I do anything, it's like legit and real. Like I'm going to grow my hair out. So for the past two years, haven't got a haircut. But I told my wife, I said, if nothing materializes in the next 12 months, I'm cutting all this mess off. But I've been growing my hair out, uh, hoping and wishing and praying and magic bean buying. So I, uh, I cannot, I cannot wait if it happens. And if it doesn't happen, I'm cool with that too. Like I'm at peace either way. I enjoy what I do teaching kids. So if it happens, great. And, uh, you know, if it, if it doesn't, I'm still proud of how everything turned out with the book and, you know, getting to meet, uh, Christopher Landis, you know, owe him a big, a big debt because, you know, I've, I probably bought a I have the same thing like I did with my figures. I probably bought, you know, a, a big box of 30 books, you know, <laughs> wow. uh, all that's going to be signed and everything like that just to, um, you know, just to be able to have them. And if, if, you know, have someone I, I can get them to or whatever, you know, I have them. So you, you uh, send me your address and I'll, um, I'll sign it. If you don't already have one, I'll, 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 if you don't have a signed copy, I'll send you oh, wow. one. I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I actually love it. I, I don't, I don't have one yet. So I would love that. Absolutely. Yeah. You just, uh, you just, when we get off, you can just, uh, you know, text me your uh, address or whatever. I'll hook you up. Wow. Thank you very much. So now you've been in martial arts most of your life. Uh, you took a little break and stuff, but so in all your years of martial arts, is there one philosophy you've learned that rises to the top? You keep coming back to it. It's super important to you. Well, you know, I guess if I could pinpoint it down to anything, you know, um, I don't want people to, to see me as like one dimensional that I'm just, you know, the karate guy in town or whatever. Like I, you know, I try to pride myself in being a, a good dad and, 
you know, uh, not just a karate teacher, but, you know, because if I, if I spend all this time at the dojo working with other people's children, that I love doing that job. I love teaching the kids about respect and discipline and seeing them. You know, martial arts is great that it will give you whatever you are looking for. If you need to drop a few pounds, it will help you there. If you're kind of on the slender side and you need to kind of mus- get, get a little more muscle, it will help you there. If you don't have a lot of friends, you will make friends when you come to the dojo. If you're a little too cocky and you need to be brought down a notch or two, there's someone at the studio that's going to be able to kind of help you there too, to be more humble. And so what if you're looking for confidence, if you've been bullied, if you've whatever it is, martial arts will give you what you're looking for. And that's probably, you know, the, the biggest thing that I've seen martial arts do for people over the years is it will help them be it will take a good person, make them a better person, take a person who's shy, make them a little more outgoing. You know, so it it will really helps people. And, you know, if I just teach them like punching and kicking, you know, like I tell my students often, like when you learn all these moves, like it's easy to hurt people. Like what you want to do is help people. Like you want to help people because basically if there's any kind of secret to life, it's that good people do things for other people. That's it. The end. Like that's that's how you are going to be a success, not by what you drive or what you you know, what kind of house you live in or anything like that. But it's, you know, how what have you are there going to be cool stories to tell about you later? Like, you know, try to live your life like that. So if there's anything I can do, it's just helping a kid. But on the same token, if I spend all my time at the dojo helping these other kids and neglect my own kids and not be a good dad, then I still failed, even though I've had a good success in training. Uh, you know, I've got 140 kids at that one location. I could train them, but if I if I lose my own in pursuit of martial arts that I love, then I've really failed as a parent. So balance, I guess, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, I've spent a lot of time at the dojo because that's my job. My kids understand that, but we also have time where we're where we're together, where we're taking trips to the mountains, or we're going to the beach, or we're you know doing things that we hang out as a family. So just, you know, balancing your life that, um, you know, that's probably the biggest thing that's helped me not just, you know, balancing when you're kicking, but just balancing with your, with your life. That's a great answer. Well, the things that's important to me wasn't now, it was not so important to me when I was like 25 years old. Like now that I'm 52 years old, you know, things like, um, good sleep and Mm. good, uh, good healthy food and good fresh air and sunshine and good, you know, things like that. Cause when you're young, you know, you're trying to, you know, you're working hard, you're building your family, you're working yourself to death, you know, trying to, you know, people that work themselves to death, trying to get a bigger house or a bigger boat or something like that. Mm -hmm. I just see that as, um, you know, you're just chasing your tail, so to speak. So it's like, you know, I think just try to be happy, like wherever you are, Mm-hmm. You got to find some happiness there. You know, you don't have to try to, because a lot of people will tell you, like, if you, if some of these big celebrities that have big mansions and big, you know, houses in other countries, you know, all over the place, some of these people are the most miserable people you ever meet because they realize that money doesn't fix all that. Right. Like you're still at the end of the day, you know, you're kind of, so you have to be happy from the, from the inside, you know, and just em- embrace life as it is. I mean, if people feel stressed out, I mean, heck, go to the go to the beach and get some rays or something like go, you know, just chill out. Some people take it way too serious. So, you know, just mm-hmm. having fun with it, you know, not um, achieving happily, but happily achieving. So, 
just try to be happy along the way. Nice. I like it. All right. I got a few fun questions to wrap it up here. Doesn't have to be four names. It can be, I've had as few as two and as many as eight. So it's up to you. Just who are some names that you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts? Okay. All right. So I would have to pick people like, um, you know, um, well, my dad, of course. Nice. Yep. Uh, so, um, do my dad. Then I would do like the first time that I kind of got introduced to, um, some bigger name. Well, actually before Jeff Smith introduced me to people like Pat Johnson, there was a guy named Ken Eubanks and he and his yes. son, Marty put on the bluegrass nationals in Kentucky and uh, Louisville. Uh, they did that forever. And, and Marty's still hosting events, I think in, um, in Bowling Green, but, but anyway, so I would go to these tournaments and I was working two jobs and, you know, um, just struggling to pay the seven or 800 bucks to go to these national events. And I would enter the forms division. They would shuffle the little cars and decide who goes first. And it seemed like every single tournament I was going first It was almost like it was rigged against me, even though I know it wasn't, I didn't take it personally. I was just like, this is unbelievable. I had to go first last tournament. I'm going first today. Next time I've got to go first again. Well, I forget where we were. It wasn't at his, it was, he was judging. So he was the center judge and he shuffled the cards. I saw him shuffle behind his back and he pulled out a card and I, I, he happened to look up and look right into my eyes. I was standing on the line with the other competitors. And so he looks up and we made eye contact and I saw him take that card and move it to the bottom of the pile. And I knew what he had done. I knew I drew first again. And then he put my card on the bottom so that I could go last. And so um, I got to go last on this. And I actually won. I got a, a first or a second or something like that. And so, again, you know, if he hadn't have done that, I don't know if I eventually got discouraged or or whatever. You know, probably, you know, my dad, Jeff Smith, for introducing me to Pat Johnson. Pat Johnson, uh, Ken Eubanks, a guy named Greg Silva. Mm-hmm. Greg Silva sponsored me in 1994. He called my dad. He said, Hey, I saw Jamie compete last year. And he said, I'm sponsoring 10 people and I'm going to pay their airline ticket, their hotel, their entry fee, and any money they win, they get to keep it. And wow. he said, I want to sponsor your son to be on Team United Professionals. And had he not sponsored me, I probably would have stopped competing because I was just kind of, I was struggling. I mean, you're talking about back in the 90s, I was working at a place part-time after college, making like six bucks an hour or something like that back in the day. And so I was just like, you know, it was just so Mr. Silva sponsored me and I was able to afford, because it didn't cost me anything. He paid everything. And so I got to go to all 10 NASCAR tournaments that year in 94 and he sponsored me to go. I didn't, it didn't cost me anything. So I would put him there for sure. You know, you got your icons you look up to, like, you know, in the movies and stuff, whether it's Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan or somebody like that. But just people in my personal life, that's the ones I would name. Okay. How about a favorite martial arts book? Favorite martial art book. I would say This is Karate by Masayama. Ah, great book. All right. How about a favorite martial arts video game? Were you ever into video games in the 80s, 90s when you were younger? So in my pool table room in my man cave mm-hmm. at one time right now i have a, a galaga miss pac-man combination nice. uh, stand-up arcade <laughs> but back in the day i had a mortal Kombat 2 fighting game sweet and i had a stand-up i had it on free play 
I had all the cheat codes, so I memorized that. So if you came over and challenged, like I could do all the ending moves and do like <laughs> nice. the fatalities and, and babalities and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, I had the Mortal Kombat too. That's probably my, you know, actually now I go back to the old arcade games where, uh, let's see. So when I was probably well, maybe 15, 16, you could go to the mall and they had arc- still had arcades back then in our town, in our mall. And they had a game called Karate Champ. I remember playing Karate Champ, and I've been wanting to get one of those games. I've got a video arcade connection where this guy can get you a game for, you know, I guess like a brand new Pac-Man costs you $4,000 or something. But this guy builds them from scratch, and he can get you one for like, you know, seven, eight hundred bucks. So it's still pretty pricey, but it's not like three or four thousand. Yeah. And I wanted to get it to where you can uh, have all the fighting games on one. Like, um, cause the, the Galaga Miss Pac-Man combo that I have mm-hmm. has like 60 games on it. So it has all these different games and you yep. can scroll through and pick the one you want to play. So it's got a, it looks old. It looks vintage, but it's actually, the insides are like a new computer, Yeah. but I want a fighting game just like that where it has all the old vintage, like Tekken's and, That'd be cool. um, the first time that, uh, when I went to the TV show, uh, we didn't have to work the first day I got there. We just kind of like go do whatever. And I remember meeting a couple of the other characters. It was, um, uh, well, I'd known Johnny Smith, but it was Johnny and he and Nguyen and it was um, Eric Betts. And we all go eat together and then we all go to an arcade and we fight each other in Tekken. And that yep. was always a good memory for me. So awesome. probably the old uh, Mortal Kombat uh, stand-up arcade game, Tekken, and probably Karate Champ from like the 80s. Okay, you know? that is cool. Great answer. All right, now this one, you, you can't pick W. Macy Masters, obviously. Favorite martial arts TV show? TV show. Okay. Well, I would probably go back. You know, I've watched some of the episodes uh, recently and they're good. They're good. But I remember them being like, I mean, I just could not wait to watch them when I was like 13 years old, but I used to like the old David Carradine Kung Fu. Okay. Yep. I enjoyed that. Yeah. So, cause I'm kind of old school. Like, you know, a lot of people say, you know, power Rangers or something mm-hmm. like that, but I was a little older when that stuff was coming out. Yeah. Like, you know, Kung Fu and stuff was back. I grew up on movies like Billy Jack and, nice. you know, stuff like that. And I remember one of my first instructors, it was a black belt under my dad. I mentioned earlier, Jamie Hooper, he would get Jackie Chan movies. As we're not talking about stuff like Rush Hour and mm-hmm. Shanghai Nights or whatever. This stuff that he did, like Fearless Hyena and things Sweet. like that back in the day, he would get a hold of these movies and they would be in Chinese. And the subtitles at the bottom, would be in a different dialect of Chinese. <laughs> wow. So we're watching these movies of them speaking in Mandarin or whatever, but the subtitles at the bottom was Cantonese or whatever. I don't know the exact <laughs> ones, but like we didn't watch it for the acting. We watched it because it seemed like in those movies, every five minutes, there's another 10 minute fight scene, yep. five minutes of acting and then 10 minutes of fighting. So we would watch all of those at my dad's house. Like it's on a, like a VCR, like a old tape, mm-hmm. but it would be Jackie Chan, in Chinese speak and the subtitles would be in another dialect. That's and we awesome. would just watch those. That was just awesome to me that my instructor would come over to our house. All right. How about then you mentioned movies, favorite martial arts movie. Oh, last samurai. Nice. That's a great, that one's been only been picked, picked a couple times. That's a good pick. So last samurai is one of those movies where I, for some reason I went to see it by myself, like some loser, I, you know, I go, <laughs> go see it all alone. I didn't know for some reason I didn't, I went to see this by myself. I don't know what, what, cause usually go to the movies, you, you have family or you got a bunch of friends and yep. there's, you know, at least four or five, 10 people, everybody goes, fills up a row. 
this particular movie for some reason I went by myself and I watched that movie and I left walking out thinking to myself, you're not a real martial artist. Like you're just some joker player. Like this, these people had real code, like honor, like Bushido. They had like the real warrior code and like, you know, that's the real martial arts. And so that that movie really changed my trajectory because I, you know, looking at an actor like Tom Cruise, most of these actors like Ralph Macchio and people like that, they spent like three months. And you can tell, like, if you watch the original Karate Kid, yep. I mean, he was an actor and he was doing his best. Like, he did a great job as a, you know, a kid, mm-hmm. you know, or I guess he was 20 something when he did the Karate Kid. But <laughs> he looked like to me, he like he had been training six months or something like he looked like a green belt. That's yep. fine. Well, when I read the article about Tom Cruise, he was going to do the same thing. He was going to work out for three or four months. And he said he realized that to make this look believable, this is something you couldn't do three or four months. A real martial artist like wouldn't it would never be that good. So he said he worked out on this on these routines for two years before they actually shot the stuff. Like he didn't do it just three months like most actors would Mm -hmm. do and go on to another film. He worked on the sword stuff for two years. That's cool. And so that, that kind of inspired me that, wow, you know, this is a real actor that's really wanting to make it look the best Mm -hmm. last summer. I definitely. Okay. Nice. All right. Final question. This one does not have to be a martial arts movie, just a favorite movie fight scene. Favorite movie fight scene. Mm, favorite movie fight scene. Well, if it's martial arts. Mm-hmm. Like if it's um, if it's just fighting, I, I like some of the old um, like Rocky Two, something oh, like that. Like yeah. the Rocky movies and stuff, just for fight, like boxing or something. But for martial arts, I like stuff like um, like Jackie Chan's Rumble in the Bronx. Oh, great that movie! Was, yep. he, he incorporated a lot of his old school stuff, uh, some of the accidental kung fu. You know, things with bottles and, you know, moving the bottles back and forth and grabbing the guy's hand, moving across the pool table. And, you know, he did like a 540 kick, like look like he did it over a refrigerator or something like it was crazy. And uh, so that was probably, you know, I I really enjoyed those fight scenes with with Jackie Chan and the Rumble in the Bronx. When he worked that uh, Wing Chun, the Wing Chun dummy in the beginning, like Mm -hmm. that was just is insane. He's just amazing. He's amazing. Awesome. Well, Jamie, I just, first of all, before I let you go, anything that I maybe forgot to ask you, you want to get out there quick and, and I'll put links for, for your school and, and YouTube channel and everything else out there. And, and I'll even put links for WMAC masters on there for people to check out episodes that they've never seen it. Hopefully, hopefully my listeners have seen it because I've talked about it a lot, but I'll put links for everything out there when the episode comes out. But anything else you want to mention before I let you go? I, you know, I can't think of anything, you know, I'm a big talker. I do love to tell stories and, um, it's good. you know, sometimes I feel guilty that, you know, somebody interviewed and I know you said in the beginning, Hey, you know, they, they want to hear you, not me kind of thing. But <laughs> yep. sometimes I do feel like I, you know, I, I do ramble on or whatever, but you know, with martial arts and stuff, we've had so many experiences and things in my life that, um, you know, different, you know, maybe if we do this again, you know, I've got stories I've collected over the years, like just like funnies, like funny stories, like things that's happened at tournaments or demos where, Ooh. you know, people's, you know, something that's just really, really funny. Okay. And um, I would so like that. That uh, if we ever do it again, I've, I've got a handful of, uh, of stories that people like if I've told one before, I'll have people that we get together like, OK, you've got to tell 
You know, you got to tell this person that story. <laughs> you told me that time about the the pseudo chop to the throat. You got to tell them the story. Nice. And so, um, so I would tell them that. So, so if we do it again, maybe because uh, I don't want to ramble on too long and <laughs> and, bore, and bore your audience. But uh, some of those stories, I'll keep that in they, mind. That that might be an idea. They, they would get a kick out of that. Pardon the pun. They would really love the. <laughs> Some of the, the funny stories, especially with my dad, like with uh, people coming in, into the dojo and like not necessarily dropping a challenge, but my dad was kind of, he was so old school that like when he in the late sixties, like he would accompany, like if somebody opened up a, a, a dojo, like a dojong in, in our mm-hmm. town and Master Chung didn't feel like they were teaching, like if they were teaching weak, watered down martial arts. He would just get my dad and they would just go to the studio and just challenge the instructor and like just, you know, they would fight him. Yeah, like like stuff you hear about in the movies, like they really did it. And so he's like, we're not having these people teach this like junk and crap. Like they're going to they're teach they're going to teach you good stuff. We're not going to have this. And so uh, they, you know, this, so they participate. My dad got to participate in a couple of dojo wars, I guess you would call them. Like, That's awesome. Real stuff where they storm a dojo, people not teaching right. I definitely want to hear more about that sometime. So we'll, 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 we'll have to Absolutely. do that. We'll find a time. <laughs> so cool. But Absolutely. I, d- I just have to thank you. This has been such, such fun. I've been looking forward to this for a while. I'm so glad we made it happen. You, and like you said, you're a great storyteller. It's been such a blast hearing about you and, and I can't wait till the episode comes out. Absolutely. Well, let me know when it does. I, I like to tune in myself. And, um, but, uh, yeah, anytime you want to, if you're near our area or, or if, um, you know, if we can uh, get together and, you know, have some dinner or whatever, we can share more stories. So uh, look me up if you're ever close by. I will keep that in mind. I, I appreciate it, sir. Absolutely. Thank you, Brian, for everything. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.